All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I am a child of the 80s, all right, which means uh, that I was privy to some of the greatest television shows ever made in history. Growing up as a child, uh, there's something that was very special about only having three channels, very limited television, what came on. Um, When the president was on, it ruined your night as a kid because it was on all three channels. But for those of you that uh, know what I'm talking about, 80s kids or just lived through that generation, let me just give you a couple of shows that were just incredible. One is you had Knight Rider, all right? Can I get a witness? Uh, There it is right there. I mean, you could talk to Kit the car. And uh, he, w- he had a mind of his own. And just so David Hasselhoff, unbelievable. Uh, loved that show. Uh, another show that I grew up with, absolutely loved, was The A-Team. Remember this right here? Mr. T and Murdoch. And they drove around in that cool van, you know, love it when a plan comes together. That was The A-Team. Uh, now, you adults, you had a couple of soap operas that you were addicted to in the 80s. You had Dallas, all right, J.R. Ewing. Uh, My Paul loved J.R. Ewing. Uh, Then you had, right after Dallas, came Dynasty. Some of you are more Dynasty folks. Uh, And so these were some of the TV shows. But my favorite to watch, uh, no question about it, when I think about my childhood, uh, my my heart will still start beating fast when when I think about this show and when it started, was The Incredible Hulk, okay? Now... Uh, students, I know that Marvel Studios made a big deal out of this, but back in the day, I mean, this show, it only was five seasons long, but uh, this is trick-or-treat season, October, and I remember one year, uh, my sweet mom, who is here this morning, my mom and daddy uh, are here this morning. Um, you can feel free to come by after the service and tell them how great of a job they did raising their child, um, but she, she one year, I was probably seven or eight years old, and for trick-or-treat, she, she, she let me wear some cut-off blue jean shorts and painted my whole body green uh, so I could go around and uh, trick-or-treat. So just imagine seven or eight-year-old Pastor Jarrett hulking it out. Uh, but here's, here's the story behind the Hulk. Uh, the main character is a guy by the name of Dr. David Banner, and Dr. Banner Uh, his wife and he were in a tragic car accident. She lost her life. And as I recall, he could not lift the car off of her. And he was a scientist. He was a physician. And so he, along with his assistant, began to do some research to find out what is it that can make people in certain traumatic times or stressful times get superhuman strength. And so they unlock the key to that door, thus the Incredible Hulk. They go a little overboard with it. And instead of me just up here telling you about it, okay, every show started with the same one-minute narration. And so to get the feel, you got to see it, all right? So uh, watch the screen. physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. 
investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Oh, man, how great is that, okay? Now, you can see why my blood was pumping as a little boy. Um, but you say, Jarrett, what on earth does this have to do with James chapter four? I promise you there's a point to this because James is gonna tell us right here in chapter four, the reason that we have conflict in relationships. And while conflict is a part of life because we are all sinners, what James is gonna say is that you and me, all of us in this room, are a little more like Dr. Banner than we may think. Internally, we could all say to people, just like he said to that investigative journalist, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. And James is gonna tell us right here that hey, we may not metamorphosis into a different being when we're mad, when there's conflict, when there's fights, when there are quarrels, although some of us do. Outwardly, we might express it differently than just a temper or uh, just blowing a gasket. But inwardly, you fume. Inwardly, you're passive aggressive. Inwardly, when you're angry, you put people on Siberia, you ice them. And what James says is if you look deep enough, when it comes to conflict, there is a raging monster, a raging spirit within all of us, even though it may be expressed differently. And what we're going to see today is where it comes from, what causes it, what it results in, and how we can win it over. I'm calling the message today, Winning the War Within James chapter four, starting in verse one, the Bible says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Winning the war within. Let's begin today by naming the war. And I'll name the war in one word and just kind of work it out. It is conflict. This is what James says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights, verse one and two, among you? He mentions it again. You cannot, uh, you covet and cannot attain. So you fight and quarrel. 
Now remember the context in which this is written. If you're just now uh, visiting Champion Forest, we've been in this series for about six or seven weeks now, and James is a, a leader in an early church in Jerusalem, and there was some uh, 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 pain and suffering and persecution that came to Jerusalem, and so his body of believers were scattered all throughout Israel and the known Roman Empire at the time. It would be like us coming together and we're visiting and we're, we're worshiping together and we're serving and something happens where we just have to disperse everywhere and can't meet anymore. And Pastor James is leading this congregation. And so in order to get a message to them, he has to write this letter. And he begins to write this letter to them. And as we've seen nearly every single week, what he was dealing with when this was written in about 40 AD, mid-40s, some of the same things that they were dealing with then, we're continuing to deal with now. And James knows because the church is made up of people, he knows that there are gonna be conflicts because all of us are sinners. We're all selfish at the core, we want our way, and James is gonna work this out here in just a moment. And because of this, we fight, we bicker, we quarrel, we conflict, and that includes the pastor and leadership, okay? We're all in this. If you listen closely, you probably heard my wife say amen to that, all right? He is a sinner. Now, I say this every once in a while when when preaching, typically at the end of the service, I make an invitation for you to come join Champion Forest if you've been visiting invite you to take our membership class, learn more about us, meet the pastors, and I'll typically give this warning. Now, we are not a perfect church, okay? Uh, we've got our issues. Uh, we've got things that we're up against, and, and we're not a perfect church. And so the warning is, if you're here today and you're thinking about joining Champion Force, and you are perfect, don't join our church, okay? Because you're gonna mess up what we got going here. Uh, we are messy sinners, and because of this, there's conflicts. As James says, there's fights, there's quarrels. Now, he's going to give us reasons for the war, and he gives two big reasons that we experience conflict in our relationships, and it's not who some of you are thinking, okay? Some of you are thinking, Pastor Jared, I'll save you the time right here. I'll tell you exactly why I have conflicts in relationships. Their name is, and you can give me the name. That's what you're thinking. I'll tell you the reason for my conflict. I'll tell you there's reason in, uh, the reason for friction in my home. It's him. It's her. So-and-so didn't tell him do what I told them to do, or they acted like this, or they did that. That's the reason for the relational conflict that I'm experiencing. And more often than not, we always want to blame someone else. It's my spouse. It's my kids. It's my coworker. It's my boss. It's those drivers that drive in the left-hand lane when they need to be in the right-hand lane. It's their fault. And Pastor James says, ho, ho, hold up. He's not held back at all in his letter. He speaks the truth. He's not scared of hurting feelings, and he's not about to start now. He says, look at your relational conflict. 
that you have with people. He says it has one common denominator, you. And he begins to outline some of the reasons, two big reasons. Number one is we have conflict and we fight and we quarrel amongst one another because we're embracing worldly wisdom. Now remember, James chapter four is a continuation of James chapter three. Mark Lanier did a great job last week of preaching. I was watching it while I was on the road. I was listening to it while I was on the road. And a great sermon. And if you remember, it's unfortunate that the translators put a chapter break there because this is one flow of thought. And remember what he talked about? He said, listen, we're gonna either look at the world from God's perspective and have heavenly wisdom, or we're gonna look from the world's perspective and have worldly wisdom. Now, listen to how godly wisdom, wisdom from above, James says, listen to how it's defined in the context of relationships, strife, and struggles. James chapter three, verse 17, 18. But the wisdom from above, look at this. If we're listening to heavenly wisdom, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want peace in your life and peace in your relationships? You better not embrace worldly wisdom. You better be listening to godly wisdom, wisdom from above. Because worldly wisdom, look what comes with this. And again, context of relational strife, bitter jealousy, verses 14 through 16. Selfish ambition. It's in your hearts. Don't boast or be false to truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Look at this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Think about your life and where there is relational conflict. It could be in your marriage and it could be in the, in the home with your children. It could be at the office. It could be here in the church. Why is it? One major reason is that we have embraced worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom at the core is this right here. It's all about me and mine. I am at the center of the universe. That is what worldly wisdom teaches. That's why there's selfish ambition and bitter jealousy because it's all about you. You're looking out for me, myself, and I. It's the very definition of earthly wisdom. And James says this is exactly why some of you, your lives could be characterized by conflict. That's why you can't get along with people. Care more about being right in an argument than you do about being right in a relationship. You see people as in your way if you're not getting your way. And James says, this is why, this is why some of you go incredibly, uh, go incredible hulk on people. It's not because someone pushed you over the edge. We're gonna talk about that, this in just a minute, just this whole idea of blame shifting. But the reason you go incredible Hulk is because you've been listening to worldly wisdom that comes from below, that's unspiritual, that's demonic, that's evil, James says. And when you listen to worldly wisdom, what you find is you mimic what the world does. And as a result, you don't get uh, peace, you get chaos in your life. 
This is why it's so important. I feel like I say this every single week, but it's so true. It's why it's so important that you spend time alone with the Lord. Every morning, get up, get your Bible, read, get a notebook, take notes about what you're reading, write the Bible verse down, put it in your heart. Why? Because you need God's wisdom from above. And he said in James 1, I'll give it if you just ask me for it. He's going to come back to this theme in just a moment. A second reason that we have relational strife is not just that we are listening to worldly wisdom, but we're caving to fleshly desires. That's what verse 1 and 2 says in James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now this word passions here uh, is where we get our word hedonist from. That word, the, the, the whole idea of pleasure. It's, it's really morally neutral when James writes it here. We have desires for enjoyments in life that are good desires to have. We talked about this in the message on James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. If you miss any of these messages, go back and listen to them because they build on top of one another. But what we said in this is that we have legitimate desires Uh, The desire for uh, love and for someone to know us intimately, that is a good desire, a godly desire. He placed it in our hearts. The desire to, to work and contribute and to make a difference, that is a good, godly desire. The problem is we have two enemies fighting against these good and godly desires. One is the devil who's out to still kill and destroy. And so he's gonna try to tempt us and twist things up to get us to fall away from God, to meet legitimate desires in an illegitimate way, or he'll try to distort or pervert good godly desires. Another enemy is just the sinful nature in us. We are of the flesh. That's why we need to trust Jesus into our life because when we trust in Jesus, Paul will write and say, you crucify the flesh along with its sinful passions and desires. The problem is that sinful flesh just wants to rear up and live every single day. That's why every day we gotta get up and we surrender to Jesus all over again and we live empowered by the spirit of God. So the flesh used interchangeably sinful nature, the enemy, takes these good godly desires and we either try to meet desires in an illegitimate way or those desires are perverted and it leads us to sin against God. So you take the desire for love and that's a good godly desire, but what does Satan do? He perverts it, he twists it. And so it becomes pornography, right? My needs being met. And so what happens is exactly what James says here in verse two. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have. So you desire love, but it's perverted and twisted and you don't have it. So what do you do? You murder. That's exactly what pornography is. It's murdering your purity. It's murdering intimacy. It's murdering that person made in the image of God. He says, you covet and cannot obtain. So this desire to work and contribute and to make a difference, this good godly desire, it gets perverted because of our sin nature, because of the enemy that's constantly breathing down our neck and it becomes about power and greed. 
And so we covet because we, we want something and we don't have it. And so what does James say? It causes all sorts of conflict, fights and quarrels. I've seen this so many times, personally, my own life, just experiencing life. I fall to this and fail in this. I've seen it in people that I meet with and counsel. I have a, a, a couple come in and there is a, a sinful man married to a sinful woman. And when I do premarital counseling, you remember this, couples, when you were dating and engaged, you thought, we are, we are never having any issues or problems. This is amazing. We're never going to fight. This is going to be walking through the rose. And I, I see it. I take joy in slapping those rose-colored glasses off that couple's face. You are going to hate one another one day, all right? You're going to wake up and go, what have I done? You got a sinful man and a sinful woman. We are sinners. There's going to be conflict. And the sinful man comes in and says, I'm not getting the respect I deserve. And the sinful woman is not meeting some need that he has in his life or that he thinks needs to be met in his life. And the sinful woman says the same thing. I'm not being honored and cherished. And the sinful man isn't meeting the needs of his wife who longs to be honored and cherished. So the question is, who are you gonna listen to? How are you gonna resolve this conflict? Are you gonna listen to worldly wisdom that is demonic? Who are you talking to about this? Where are you getting your advice from? Or are you gonna listen to heavenly wisdom from above that's peaceable and pure, full of reason and mercy? Are you gonna listen to the spirit where there is life and peace according to the scriptures? Or are you going to listen to the flesh where there's corruption and death? And so you want to know why there's fights among us? You want to know why there's conflict? You want to know why two Christians can do this? It's because those Christians are embracing worldly wisdom and they are caving to their fleshly desires. And James says that happens, there's going to be conflict all over the place. And he says, you murder people. And he's not talking about physical murder. Um, I, I believe in this context, he's talking about words, right? We, he's talked about the power of the tongue, that it can bring life or death. And isn't this what happens? Some of us get so mad and so angry, and we're in a fight, and what do we do? We murder people with our words. Listen, this, this week, I've told you this before, whenever I'm working on a message, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, usually irons it out in my life before I ever get up here. He keeps me humble on this, okay? This week, this week, one of my children who will remain nameless um, did not, she, she lost her shoe uh, before going to school, couldn't find her shoe. Now we've talked about this a million times. Lay your clothes out. Where you take off your shoe and leave it ought to be where it is the next day. When I wake up in the morning, all I want, all I rightfully deserve <laughs> is peace. I just wanna get my coffee. I want to go to my office. I want to read my Bible and get all spiritual for the day. All I want is peace. And when she couldn't find this shoe, I'm telling you, your pastor went incredible Hulk. 
If there would have been a video in my home, I'd be, embar- I'd be embarrassed for you to see it. And you know what I did for that little girl who, who lost her shoe? Which, by the way, you want to know why I know it's unspiritual? Because I sure don't get that mad at myself when I lose something. I murdered that little girl with my words toward her, with my attitude toward her. Why? Now, I want her to be responsible. That's a good desire. I want her to, you know, uh, I want there to be order. That's a good desire. But you know what made me explode? You want to know what thing? She didn't make me do that. You want to know why I did that? Because of James chapter 4, verse 2. I didn't get what I thought I deserved. And so I murdered her with my attitude, with my action. It happens in marriages. It happens in churches. We don't get our way. Our needs aren't met. We're made to look bad. We don't get what we want out of that relationship, what we think we deserve. And so we fight and we quarrel. And if I don't get my way, you better watch out. You don't want me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. And again, some of us don't go incredible hulk and turn over tables. Some of us just, seen in the context of marriage, we just emotionally block you out. Men will do that. Women, sexually, block you out. And we just set up barriers, emotionally, and we fight, and we quarrel, and we have conflict. And James says, instead of living like this, what if you pray? That's what he says here in verse two. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, this is a prayer principle. This is, this is genius right here, okay? You came to church for this. All answered prayer begins with an ask. And so James says, you have not because you ask not. What is it that you're looking for in those relationships? Are you praying about it? I mean, really praying about it. Like, what if you spent as much time and as much intensity praying and asking God to intervene as you did blowing up and bickering? I bet things would be different. What if you prayed and you asked God, who said, if you'll ask me for wisdom, I will give liberally. I'll give generously to you. God, I need wisdom in this situation. How am I to respond? What am I to say? What am I to do? How do I handle this this conflict that I'm in, this person that I'm not seeing eye to eye with? God, will you help me not to cave to my fleshly desires that thinks me and my and it's all about me? What if we pray? We've got to be so careful about how we pray and what we pray because God will not answer prayers that help fulfill selfish desires. There are some of you get in a conflict. Let's just take marriage while we're there. God They're driving me crazy. Change them. And God says, change them? They're the instrument in your life that is sanctifying you and making you more like me. You start praying, God, change me. God says, I I can hear that prayer. God, this boss, get me out of this job. 
And God says, get you out of this job. Look at how many lost people you're around, people that don't know me. You're salt and light there. Get you out of this job. If I got you out of that job, you'd never come to me in prayer. It's the only time I ever hear from you. And so we got to be very careful what we pray for. God's not going to answer selfish prayers, and he's not going to fund our sin either. That's what the verse 3 is. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, that sin nature runs so deep. When we come to the Lord in prayer, we've got to be so spirit-led. If not, our prayers will be selfish, and we'll be asking God to, again, fund our sinful nature. And God says, James says, God doesn't answer prayers like that. That that ask wrongly there, that word wrongly, it's the word where we get diseased from or sick. That's a sick prayer. That's a diseased prayer. It's not going to work. Because you want something, look at what he says, to spend on your own passions. The word spend is the word squander. It's the word picture, same word picture used in Luke chapter 15 when, when the, the, the parable of the lost son who gets his father's inheritance and he goes to the far country and the Bible says he squanders it, lives recklessly. James says God's not gonna answer that kind of prayer. And if he does, listen, if he does, it could be his discipline in your life. That's something to think about. This is why it's never a cop-out to pray and we come with a sincere heart and we come with an earnest desire to please God and we're praying for, 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 for what we want and what we desire, okay? I'm not saying do not ask God for what is on your heart. God knows your heart anyway, so you might as well ask him for it. Are you gonna fake him out? So you pray, God, this, this situation, this circumstance, I don't understand it. I want, I want it this way. Lord, this is how I see it. It's never a cop-out to say, but God, show me your way. And just like Jesus, not my will, God, but your will be done. You pray like that, I promise you, God will hear your prayers. Now look, we define the war. It's relational conflict and strife. Happens to every one of us in here. We've said what causes the war. It's embracing worldly wisdom. It's caving to fleshly desires. Now look at what this war results in. They're devastating results. The first is enmity with God. That's verse four, the first part. You adulterous people. Dang, James. Tell us how you really feel. I I want you to think about that, though. This is the authoritative word of God. And what James says here is if you live based off of worldly wisdom and you are constantly caving in to your fleshly desires, he says you are a spiritual adulterer. You live like this, you're cheating on God. You've got another lover besides God, and it's called the world. That's what he says here. It's friendship with the world. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity is hostility. It is a deep hatred. And James says, you embrace worldly wisdom, and you, and you, you cave into those fleshly desires. You're going to find that you're not only at odds with others, you're at odds with God himself. Enmity leads to distance. 
And we don't want any distance between us and God. Not only is it enmity with God, but the second devastating result is you become an enemy of God. Listen to this, second part of verse four. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, look at this, makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Now, God loves you with an everlasting love. And for those of you that have called on the name of the Lord, you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible teaches that he puts his Holy Spirit in us and you are sealed for the day of redemption. So if you've trusted in Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection to make you right with God, not your own works, not your own deeds, but by faith in Christ alone, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The danger is what a, a, a term the old preachers used to call, we can become backslidden. We can drift spiritually. And that's the danger of being friends with the world. That's the danger of embracing worldly wisdom and constantly caving to fleshly desires because the Bible says when you do that, your heart begins to harden and it becomes callous and you will live in sin and unbelief and you are becoming a friend of the world and you're just like somebody that gets in a tube on a summer day and floats down that river. You don't even know how far you're drifting away. The current's just taking you. That's, that's what worldliness will do. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Demas. Ever heard of Demas. Ever heard a sermon on Demas? He's only mentioned three times in scripture. Listen to when he's mentioned. He's a work associate of Paul, Philemon chapter one, verse 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my, look at this, my fellow workers. Demas was a fellow worker with Paul. In Colossians 4, 4, 14, he's mentioned a second time. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. He's with Paul as does Demas. Demas, that fellow worker, side by side with Paul, laboring in the kingdom, working for the kingdom. And then we get to 2 Timothy chapter four, Paul's last letter that he ever writes. And listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, would you do your best to come to me, Timothy? For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The danger of being friends with the world is we'll drift spiritually. And in that drifting, there becomes hostility between us and God. And if we're not careful, we can become an enemy of the God that we once loved and served. And so, God doesn't want this. This is what verse five's about. He's a jealous God. He didn't want you loving the world. He wants you loving him. He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He created you. He knows life on our own will mess it up. Decisions that we make. Come on. Who are we talking to? We know this, right? The consequences, the fruit of our going off our own, living off the worldly wisdom, it gets us nowhere. God knows he's got a better plan for us. And so, let's talk in these closing moments about how we win this war. Very, very quickly, let me tell you how you won't win it. The war within, you're not gonna win it by gritting your teeth and just self-discipline. I am gonna love Jesus today. 
I'm gonna read my Bible and enjoy it. That's not gonna happen, all right? That'll last until you get to that Chick-fil-A drive-in line and the person in front of you is not ready to order, doesn't have their app out. You're thinking, do you not order the same thing every time? It's Chick-fil-A, come on. And, and you, you start murdering people with your words and attitude, okay? Uh, self-discipline's not gonna get it. You know what gets it? You wanna know how you win the war? One word, grace. That's James 4, 6 but he gives more grace. It's the grace and kindness of God, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. It's the grace and kindness of God that will, con- that will change our inward character. Now the Bible says grace of God has appeared to, in Christ to all people, and so there's a saving grace that God gives to all those who call upon his name, but we don't want just saving grace as believers in Christ. We want, verse six, more grace. I don't know about you, I need more grace. I need, I need more grace, God. Well, how do you get it? He gives us a recipe here, and I'm gonna close this sermon out in reading verses six through 10, and in this are the ingredients to a recipe, if you will, for for getting more grace. I was craving this breakfast casserole yesterday that my sweet wife makes, and I was just going through the house, do we have the ingredients to make it? Because you put all that stuff together in a bowl, and you put it in the oven, and it comes out, and it's glorious, and I was craving it, all right? These are ingredients. For, for more grace in your life. Starting in the second part of verse six, reading through verse 10, I'll give you three ingredients. You want more grace? You want relational peace? You want conflict to absolve? These ingredients, just ask God to give them to you. You mix them together and you'll have what you're looking for. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Write down humility. That's ingredient number one. You want God on your side, you want him to bring you in and bring you close, you gotta be humble. The way to get stiff-armed in football season, the way to get the Heisman with God is is be prideful. And there'll be distance every time. Verse seven, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Submission, that's the second ingredient. You want more grace, you need more submission. God, every area of my life, I want it to come under your authority, under your lordship. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's outwardly. What are you doing outwardly? Your behavior. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's inwardly. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is the third ingredient, repentance. Turn from your sin. Stop thinking your way is best. Stop thinking embracing worldly wisdom and caving to your fleshly desires is gonna work out. It never is. And so you live a life of repentance. You put these three ingredients together, humility, submission, and repentance. And God, you watch him. He will pour out more grace on your life that will transform your character so that that inner rage monster is finally subdued And you can be friends with God and have peace with others. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org slash connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.